Back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve. Joining me as always, uh, Sexual Dynamo. He's got a small bank account, but a, a big heart. Adam Myros. Yeah, it's a it's a clinical thing, the heart there. <laughs> we get by. It's it's all right, man. It's, we'll get you an EKG. They'll they'll you know put you on some medication, a little aspirin every day. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, also joining us, Jake Chapila. I'm Jake. That's so you got a catchphrase now, man. That's what happens. All this podcast fame gets to your head, and you you come out with a catchphrase. You think you're gonna get your own fucking doll with like a pole string, all that stuff. You're you're in it for the fame, essentially. Yeah, well, you know, you do uh, you do a bunch of podcasts, and uh, that's next thing you know, you're on King of the World. <laughs> and uh, finally, you know, under normal circumstances, I would make some sort of an Irish joke at Jack Easton's expense. However, this motherfucker jumps into our, our chat before we're about to record and says, I need five more minutes. I'm boiling potatoes. You Irish motherfucker. How are you doing, Jack Easton? You've had such disdain for the great state of, of Idaho, uh, Steve. Do we have any downloads from there? <laughs> because frankly, the potato is a wonderful uh, multifaceted staple. And yeah, I've got a fuck ton of mashed potatoes now, so I don't have to cook for like four days. So... But joke's on you. Yeah. Also, when he said sexual dynamo, I was already like, ah, no, great to be here, Steve. And then Adam comes <laughs> up, and I, this is just off to a terrible start. Uh, clearly, the only way that I can introduce you is he's got a, a pot full of spuds. That's, that's about it. With, <laughs> like, like a true. <laughs> with a comically exaggerated Irish accent. That's, that's what I got to do. Uh, right, Jake gentlemen. got a catchphrase, so what do I get? Yeah. I'm Jake. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Now, when when you when the uh, Jack Eason podcast doll comes out, you you press its stomach and Dropkick Murphy songs play, and that's it. That's all there is. I all right. Blame, actually, well, you know, we, we like to do these every once in a while, and I always feel like it's a big mistake. But with, with the lack of of real theatrical releases, feels appropriate to to wade into the water of of new releases, be they on Hulu, video on demand, or uh, irresponsibly released into theaters where people get diseases because they need to go see Tenet or whatever. We're doing some new releases, gentlemen. And the first one we got up here, this was originally going to be theatrically released. It's from the director of, of Searching. And then, wouldn't you know, old coronavirus comes around and uh, gets picked up by Hulu. And uh, unceremoniously dropped in our laps. So uh, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about Run. I'm your mom. It's my job to take care of you when you need me. And you need me. I'm your mom. mom? I'm your mom. Jack, what the hell is Rose Run about? What the hell is um, that music? <laughs> that's, that was really good. That That's much better than the film. Spoiler alert, there will be spoilers here. Run is, as you said, it's from the director of Searching. It's about a woman played by Sarah Paulson, who we open in the film. She's just had a child. The child looks to be in very serious mental 
or physical condition medically contained. We cut forward many years later, her child has survived and is ready to head off to college. She's got some medical conditions, but she's really an independent, strong young teenager doing very well. Um, and then she starts having some suspicions about her mom's care of her, uh, including some suspicions about the medicine she's been giving and this and that. And she starts digging around and starts to uncover that maybe... Maybe her mom isn't actually the loving maternal figure she thinks she is, and it's a pile of shit. And that's run. Wait, why does she have these suspicions, anyways? That, that that's my <laughs> one of many things that that really takes some leaps in this movie is she she's suspicious that her mother has been poisoning her for decades because she has a, a script in the grocery bag that's made out to her. Yeah, uh, you know, if if my dad brought home some heart medicine, I wouldn't look at the grocery bag and go, "Oh, all Adam, these years." Adam, this is a great tribute to the excellent medical uh, system of the United States, with its careful labeling and uh, you know proprietary software and hoops you have to jump through to get medicine so you don't die. And yeah, no, it opens up uh, suspicions to her. Say she finds drugs with her mom's name on them, but the drugs that she's given each night by her mother, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of these films that just kind of like tries to it's it's basically like it's really it's just the two actresses, the mother and the daughter. They're pretty much the only people involved in the whole thing, and it it just turns into a kind of like what if the person closest to you turned out to actually be something else, which you know fair enough I guess. But this film feels to me firstly I kind of predicted like you know two avenues it would go down real early on and it went down one of those avenues which was kind of a bit disappointing um compared even to searching this felt more more on the rails and frankly i think like the only if i could say anything fond about searching whatsoever um it's that at least by the end of it i was kind of like why is any of this happening and i don't really get that you know i don't get even the small joys of that here this is very kind of like he's he's found something more ordinary and like tap down to like tap down to like real cinema i guess a real filmmaking genre 101 and it's just much more boring and less rewarding than even his first bad film yeah uh, that's true Jesus. yeah this makes me go like cinema sins on this idiot at the time i i i can't stand this fucking director i gotta say but i do all of the setup for this is, is just lazy and nonsensical, and uh, yeah, fuck this movie, but again, you're giving your daughter dog medication? What kind of dog medication is going to paralyze a human for decades? I think. <laughs> yeah, it's specifically, specifically medicine that makes, your, that makes a dog's hind legs numb, and if you give it to a teenager, it keeps him in a wheelchair, which I, I don't know. What is she giving her, like, 75 a day or something? <laughs> It's for a large dog, I guess. Large dog and or daughter. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my, my best summation of this is that, um, like, frankly, uh, Shiganti, Anish Shiganti, the director, is like, he's not a filmmaker. He is very clearly, like, an, an ambitious middle manager. Like, he's he started, I think, like, his career was at Google originally before he decided, oh, go and make films. And it's exactly that kind of energy of someone who succeeded in business and just said, I'll just make films because I've got money now. I've got the connections. And he has no business doing it. He's in, there's no talent or insight or anything to this. This is absolutely like 
you know, this is the kind of movie you make when you read books on how to make movies. And it's just the most charmless, boring film. Sarah Paulson is pretty much just like, even she feels like she's on autopilot here. It's just a bunch of people looking surprised for 90 minutes. That's it. And kind of like, oh, can you believe this happened? And so like, yes, I can, because very there's very few options here. So one of the things I've already expected to happen will happen. And it's medically unbelievable. It's narratively unbelievable. The moments of suspense aren't very suspenseful. Yeah, it, it just, it doesn't really work on any level whatsoever. And I'm so glad I wasn't stuck in a theater for this. Um, that That is one saving grace. Yeah. Well, I think like the director Anish uh, Shaganti, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name properly. I actually tried to look it up and I failed miserably because I only spent two <laughs> minutes, but we're going to go with that. Anyways, it, it seems like he has an awareness of genre films, but he absolutely fucking hates them. And you can kind of see that soaking through because the absurdity of this story, if, if you played it up as just like over the top exploitation and Sarah Paulson is just really like cranking it to 11, you could have something very fun here. But instead you, you get mommy dead and dearest, but just completely muted. It's almost like he's like, well, that that's a true story, but seems a little bit over the top to me. Why don't we just take it down a couple notches? And that just it does not work at all. Uh, it's it's preposterous, but in the most boring way humanly possible. And it's it's utter dog shit. Yeah, it feels very much like something that was arrived at in a meeting. And I think Mommy Dead and Dearest uh, falls through to the act, which also was on Hulu, uh, which was like a fictionalization of the story of Mommy Dead and Dearest. And feel free to watch either of those instead of this. Particularly, probably just watch Mommy Dead and Dearest because it's the shortest and the most on point. Uh, the act is not bad, though. I did watch that at the time, and it's it's got its moments. But you know, this this feels very much like the 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 focus group that determined that that the act did well. So why not just capitalize on that further with another iteration of fiction based on the same concept? And yeah. I, you know, I do wonder about the the like, and I feel like this is part of a broader kind of movement of horror, but I have trouble kind of thinking of other contemporary examples, but this kind of idea of horror that preys on our most kind of uh, close-knit social bonds, in this case, like a mother and a daughter, a mother and a child, um, <clears throat> which is, of course, obviously, you know, kind of a thorough kind of a mainstay of, of horror generally, but this sort of stripped down, pared down version that seems to be happening now, we'll talk about this more with another film we're talking about later, this very like pared down, two people in a locked in struggle for survival, like the, almost the rest of the world doesn't exist. Um, I don't, you know, it's, it's sort of strange in, in this increasingly atomized society where people are being pushed increasingly towards kind of extremism, politically left or right. Uh, that's a joke. Left extremism doesn't really exist, guys. But anyway, you know, like, <laughs> I want healthcare. I want to kill all the Jews. And it's like, these are not even comparable as extremist positions. But anyhow. Yeah, slightly different. Uh, yeah, you know, but but like I feel like as, as we've moved to this kind of position where everything is being hedged more and more as like, you know, an extremist kind of antagonistic movement, these kind of horror films that like prey on very close social bonds. I, I don't know if they're enacting some kind of a, a grander fear we have about that we're really just losing all social connection whatsoever. Um, I don't know, it's just something that it struck me watching this film, and also with the fact this guy comes from Google, a company that has done no small amount of damage to social connections generally. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, I just, it feels a little bit annoying that, you know, 
the guy who worked for the company that pushes a lot of the extremism and so on is then also the guy who like spins around and is making this shitty movie about your mom wanting to kill you. Spoiler, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert. It, it's her her fears are well founded and her mom is actually a bad person, mentally ill, but mentally ill people are bad in these movies because there's no depth beneath the surface. It's really just like one flat thing, you know. Yeah, that that sticks out to me, I gotta say, is that mental illness angle. And I'm not one to get uh, prickly about the subject matter that a director chooses to portray, but when you are a Shiganti here and your whole modus operandi seems to be to hyper-normalize everything, like, you know, these things, searching and this, are both intended to be very sort of mundane everyday occurrences that spiral into these situations and and when you ground your film that way and you make it about how th this person who has like munchausen by proxy is straight up the bogeyman then uh it, it kind of starts to read problematic i i what is the aim of this film what who is the audience intended to be it, it feels like the sort of thing that a bunch of housewives sit around watching on Lifetime, and then they're just paranoid that that people are out to steal their children and shit. Like, that and and I think the yeah. true crime podcast crew, you know, and again the idea that you know your you know murder murder and crime will mostly be you know your most your closest loved ones. You know, it, it's like I said, mm -hmm. like I was talking earlier, it feels like it's preying on those very what would seem to have become more normalized social fears. I, I don't know. There's this strange paranoia brewing about the family. Um, and I'm not sure what it's actually hedged in or what it will amount to, but I feel like it's become more and more kind of a, a, a normal thing that, you know, it's kind of like, of course our loved ones will kill us. And now with COVID, I mean, it's all about basically, you know, we've just had Thanksgiving and family members traveling and they're going to kill grandma and whatever, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, it, we're in just a very strange place. But yeah, I mean, it, in terms of mental illness, so you say it's very normalized and he's going for something kind of slice of life in the beginning and sort of, you know, n you know, normal mundane and then it goes out of control. And it's just like, if, if John Waters made this film, this could be a lot of fun. Or searching, yeah. like, and just dial it up, you know, and just change things around. A couple of small changes could make this a really fun film. But it just doesn't read like that. It is a slog. And it's a, like, it's 90 yeah. minutes, and it's just a slog to get through it. And with this, yeah. with this tone, to me, it somehow reads more exploitative than... Most other stuff. I mean, we paired this with a freaking film by David Cronenberg's son, <laughs> and this somehow made me feel more uh, nasty for watching it. Like, I, it just, it feels so exploitative to me. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like this movie. No, it's it's god-awful. Um, Jack, you mentioned uh, True Crime, and uh, I watched this with my wife, and she immediately pegged, like, two minutes into the film. She said, oh, is this the Gypsy Rose Blanchard story? For those that don't know... Gypsy Rose Blanchard was a girl whose mother suffered from Munchausen by proxy, and so she purposely kept her sick and bedridden for most of her life. And when the girl found out, she actually murdered her mother, and uh, and she's I think currently doing time. And I'm thinking that Anesh Shiganti took that premise and he's trying to run with this it can happen to you. Is your mother your really your mother? Are you really well? But it's it's just such this it's just such a yeah like a medically inaccurate p 
bullshit thriller. I'm flummoxed at how this is like has such a strong critical consensus from both like the audience and critics online. And this is it's like happened with searching too. This like, what is, the hell is happening? This is like this is like Bird Box, where it's just this movie comes out that everyone gloms onto as this whole new fad. And that it's just it ranks up all the all the views on Hulu, but it's... and and a, a movie with such disdain and this spoiler alert, but a movie with such disdain that when the daughter starts searching, she starts to uncover that maybe she's not the biological daughter of this woman and finds like photocopies of social security cards and things <sighs> in the basement. But then they have to literally her mother has kept news clippings of the couple she stole. Why would the, the memento box drove me up the fucking wall. Why would you have that in reach of your disabled daughter? That was Because your audience are dumbasses and you don't trust them to notice the most glaringly obvious thing. I mean, there's no reason for it, but it, this is a film that treats its audience with utter contempt as well. I mean, just yeah, mm -hmm. the absolute just assumption that you were just an absolute slack-jawed fucking moron. And here's an extra shot just to clarify for you. And, you know, it's that movie. It's really annoying. I mean, it did give me a good laugh when that happened. <laughs> fucking pigs at the trough, baby. This slap right up. God, remember, I think the worst scene of the year is the uh, the 411 call that she makes. Uh, and then a kid, oh, the guy connects her. For, first off, he throws out, the director thinks he's cute because he's got these references. He, the 411 guy suggests Derry, Maine as a town. And then she tries to get in touch to a pharmacy, but the pharmacy would actually charge the phone bill. So then she, the solution is she dials a random number and a complete stranger Googles the pills that she's taking to see what color they are to confirm that they are, in fact, the incorrect pill. And it's like this overlong, drawn-out, bullshit suspense scene where a complete stranger is helping her out. Has anyone checked if the stranger's voice is John Cho and it's like a crossover to like he's still Googling like crazy? <laughs> he's Dude, just Deus Ex Google calls. search. <laughs> yeah, it does have Google searches because she can't use the Internet. So that's like that's the director's first step. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to repeat the same tricks. We're not going to have Google searches. What can we do next? I got it. A 411 call. That's what everyone else would do. What do you do when there's no Google searches? Uh. Now, don't sell this movie short, though, because there is an extended, like, Googling scene that serves no purpose. Yeah, no, it's fucking super tense because they don't have Wi-Fi or something. Oh, there's a <laughs> scene yeah. where this pharmacist violates HIPAA so she can give her subscription <laughs> information because she finds out she's a fan of escape rooms just from a photograph on she's, uh, she her desk. She finds a loophole for HIPAA, Jake. It's fine. It's a for the dog. <laughs> That's dog HIPAA isn't real. Dog HIPAA isn't real. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love the concept that it's like the pharmacy that they get all their meds from is attached to the vet next door so that, that like conveniently allows for the dog medicine to be introduced as a plot format. It's This whole film is like, if you reverse engineer this, you would just be left with mush by the start end of it. Just it's This is just the most slack-jawed, stupid film. I'm so into the dog medicine, though. Like, oh, man, I got to give my dog his paralyzed back legs pills so he can drag his dick on the fucking carpet. Well, that's the thing is that there's no dog in the film. And my wife, a former vet tech, advised me that you cannot get a subscription for dog medication of any kind without or prescription without bringing an actual dog into the hospital. They're not going to give you drugs sight unseen. 
<laughs> it's insane. Have you ever considered that the mom dressed up like a dog? Yeah, or stole a dog. <laughs> or yeah, or yeah, stole, she stole a, dog. a baby. She could steal a dog and give it back again each <laughs> month or whatever, you know. I, yeah, <laughs> it's, but it, it's weird again because they frame it. Uh, even though this film takes place in fucking Seattle, they frame <laughs> it as if it's like a small town of 500 people where everyone knows everyone else's every move. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd think that the pharmacist who apparently can fucking recognize their phone number when she calls <laughs> and just knows everything about these people's lives would know that they don't fucking own a dog. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's just it's so stupid <laughs> it's a weird thing you bring up adam actually and again we'll talk about this probably later on with the next film we're talking about uh you know a great element of horror cinema is like the local a geographical kind of you know locality to you know a regional element to horror and that's something you know that's, it's really interesting looking at like older films that were shot in specific parts of the united states or elsewhere and so it's just so confusing to me that this film has such a just a complete lack of regionalization. I think it was actually shot in Canada, if I remember correctly, which fair that happens a lot. But like, mm. like you said, it's set in Seattle. Mm. Like they live somewhere in like the commuter belt for Seattle, and like you say, otherwise it's like it's like a one horse town, like with a little street. <laughs> and that's what, like what is this magical land that they live in with like the little tiny like strip mall cinema across from the the vet slash pharmacy place. It's just absurd. There's nothing about this rings true. And consequently, none of it is in any way. Like, there's no tension to be derived from situations that are, like, just fundamentally just goofy. And yet no one will acknowledge they're goofy. It's so frustrating. It's like there's ways you could you could sort of enrich this. Just maybe make it a period film. You know, you could set it before smartphones and before this ease of internet access and blah 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 and then you don't have to hand wave away all of this shit there could be a main street because that existed in america 30 40 years ago but no it's just uh it's happening today right down the street you know all yeah, your neighbors are villainous uh main you know street you USA. should susp <laughs> be suspicious of all of them you know community is dead you're mm. living next to a pack of maniacs just remember that <laughs> Well, I mean, but but at least you've got your your drugstore that isn't a Walgreens or a CVS, you know, just uh, you know Joe's local drugstore. You got totally your exists. independent totally one exists. the one room theater that that exists across the street where you can go see first run movies. Yeah. That the, makes sense. The Carrie Theater. All this is very normal. I, I will <laughs> say the only thing. Okay, I recently earlier this week I watched Happiest Season, which is also on Hulu, and is just we're not discussing, but a much better film frankly if you want to sit through anything on hulu right now happiest season much better but also very goofy in that they're in like a little tiny town in pennsylvania and they have like this grand independent cinema and i'm just like that's not real that doesn't exist no way <laughs> this is the only thing in this film that's in any way more realistic is the fact that the only cinema in their town is like just a shitty like looks like a like third run like fucking shoebox building stuffed into a strip mall that's the only thing in this movie that I was like yeah that sucks that's real everything else horse shit yeah yeah I, I don't know, man. Yeah, this whole thing just, it upset me. I mean, I didn't even, I thought the medical stuff was hilarious. Uh, the thing that I got hung up on was, 
I was just like, damn, this is a huge house in like the Seattle suburbs. And it seems like all the mom does is like grow a couple of vegetables and occasionally go, go and do some substitute teaching. Substitute teachers. <laughs> well, yeah, well, to be fair, I mean, if she's able to get dog medicine without having a dog, she's probably yeah. like killing it on the benefits game for this shit, which Mommy Dead and Dearest actually covers and the act covers because that's what the woman actually did with her daughter that she made sick mm -hmm. was she, she absolutely played up public sympathy. There is no public in this film, though she she attends no. a support group in the first in the first scene there's like a support group for people with with very ill children and she's just fine and everyone seems to be confused that she's fine it's like no I'm, I'm really happy my daughter's going to college and we find out later on she has no intention of letting her daughter go to college etc right. but also her daughter's fine i mean she's in a wheelchair she has she's diabetic she has some medicines for this and that but her daughter is clearly fine like why is she in mm -hmm. a support group for people who are crying about the state of their children every single day and her daughter is mute like at home building electronics and like hoping to get into university and enjoying every you know like having a good time nothing about this and and the only reason that opening scene is there i think is just to temper the expectation that the daughter is sick or, you know or that it's even she, yeah yeah she is but she's not that sick and again it's like the film is just talking down to people with disabilities like they're subhuman <laughs> and then it can't even carry through on that like it's just the most incredibly disrespectful film like adam says the mental illness is is just shat on physical ailments are shat on uh, everything pretty much and then they kill a postman they tackle public services it's disgraceful this film is awful yeah what happens to the postman I'm worried about him is he okay yeah, maybe they didn't kill him, they, well there's the, that bloody she drags him like through the hallway and there's like a trail of blood and we don't it's, yeah it's that's true fur. she cuts him but, or something but Jake yeah. She says that that he's just sleeping. Oh, he can't that's be dead. true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she she injected him with what my wife presumes is uh, propofol that she keeps in her trunk next to a loaded revolver. And uh, the thing about propofol is that for it to be effective, it needs to be refrigerated. Otherwise, you're just giving people salmonella because of the egg whites. Jake, they're in Washington State. And salmonella will kill you, so <laughs> theoretically yeah. it's all... You're right, salmonella is pretty bad to have injected into you, so I'll... Yeah, there wasn't a trail of blood, there was a trail of diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, man, you ever eat some unwashed lettuce? That'll fuck you up. Can we talk about the scene where uh, the daughter is locked home in her room, so she, her solution to get out is to crawl around the roof of her house with an extension cord and a soldering iron and a mouthful of water... <laughs> And she heats up the water or the windows so she of her mom's room so she can crack it with the water. Um, I mean, Steve, let me ask you, why not just grab a heavy object from inside your room and carry that with you and just smash another window open? What? She's a well, scientist. Jake, I, <laughs> yes, yeah. but she's no, again she's overthinking it. <laughs> well, what I yeah, love about that scene actually, science, man. yeah. Well, what I love about that scene is that it's clearly it must be a single pane of glass for the solder iron, you know, temperature change trick to work to crack it. Uh, but the frames of the window look brand new to me, like they look like vinyl frames, which suggests at some point this woman changed out the frames in her old Seattle farmhouse, but not the windows. She just yeah. left them the way they were. Which, who knows? I mean, Munchausen by proxy could lead to, I guess, all kinds of aberrant home improvement uh, scenarios. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I personally would have just taken the soldering iron or literally anything else and just smashed the fucking window. Yeah. I mean, yeah. couldn't she just... 
I don't know. It's fucking dumb. I mean, you but, would think that, Cuff, because you're not a scienceman. You're right. <laughs> she that's, builds that's, machines. Yeah. She breaks windows. She does it yeah. all. It's really everything. Well, you know, we've been we've been pretty hard on this movie, but like you guys said, the the critics love it. So I figured I'd I'd pull a review from you know probably the most respected film critic and outlet. Uh, currently working if you quote so, Ehrlich so help me God Steve <laughs> <laughs> no there's a new king baby watch the throne Ehrlich uh, nextbestpicture.com our boy Matt oh. Neglia shout out to the goat uh, he actually has like a he's got an army of like baby Neglias so he didn't write this one but clearly all of these writers were, were trained by Neglia they were forged in the fires of Neglia to create beautiful film criticism and so I got to share this opening line from Dan Bayer's review of Run because, oh, just the ultimate chef's kiss moment. <clears throat> the famous phrase attributed to Jean-Luc Godard is that all you need to make a film is a girl and a gun. With Run, writer-director Anish Chiganti amends that statement a little. All he needs to make a film is a girl and a wheelchair. <laughs> Oh my! Oh. <laughs> Fucking Dostoevsky just, just, over does here. Does he not? Does he not realize he also needs a mother? Like the film would the film wouldn't work without a mom. So you no, need a girl, just, a wheelchair, and a crazy and a mom. mom at that. Yeah, yeah. It's just her in the chair, man. Uh yeah. So that's just incredible a quick, stuff. A quick question. Uh, so when he released Searching, uh, this was just a little bit after Unfriended, and critics were like, Unfriended is terrible. Searching is smart and crazy good. And they were completely wrong, because Unfriended is a really great movie, and Searching is an absolute pile of unmitigated shit. Is there yes. another movie like this that's out right now that came out recently that's just way better than this on a similar thing? Is he just going to be that guy who just makes a shittier version of an existing movie? And gets all the credit for it. Other than like Mommy Dead and Dearest, which is kind of a documentary, but that's a couple of years old. I'm just wondering, like, is there another one? To, can we think of like a, a a flip coin scenario for Ron? Is there one? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't think so. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it really works. I guess it's just like shitty misery. If you really want to get down <laughs> to it, like. Oh, yeah, speaking of the pharmacist's name is Kathy Bates. So yeah. oh Christ, hey. real, oh yeah. God, oh man, these guys working on firing uh, all cylinders. <laughs> I, I thought I thought the drug that she kept trying to Google. I thought it was the name of the the gas chemical from Return of the Living Dead. I was like, oh, that's a fun <laughs> nod to that. It's not. No, it's just <laughs> similar. That, that, but not no, the this same. dude, like I, Steve, I a hundred percent guarantee you, this dude has never watched a horror movie for fun. He would never watch oh, yeah. Return of the Living Dead. He does homework. Movie, yeah, because <laughs> critics don't like that movie enough. It's not like smart. This dude like yeah. sat down and watched Kubrick, and was like, mm, I don't like that. I don't understand that. But the critics seem to like it, so I better, you know, I better steal some surface elements from it. You know, like this dude is just a, a fucking like he's a just a board meeting personified in film form. He's the Google um, man. He's the he's the Google suit yeah. who decided to make no, movies. No, like I say, he's but... he is just an ambitious mid manager. He's not a filmmaker. There's no there's nothing in this film that would stay with. There's not an image or an edit or a. Uh, 
uh, an ellipsis to the narrative. There's nothing in here that suggests a storytelling talent or a filmmaker. It is an absolutely just barren desert of film technique. It is purely a film on technicality. <laughs> well, listen, man, all I know is that all the characters' problems would have been solved if they had Google Pixel phones. So just, you know, think about that. Mull that one over. All right. Well... <laughs> Oh, wait, I have a potential solution for Jack. It's a little bit older, but when we did uh, Into the Dark for the podcast, uh, there was a uh, segment about a daughter who had agoraphobia and suspected her father was uh, actually a murderer. Is it mm. great? No, but it's substantially better than this. I'll grant that. Yeah. And then they certainly mirror each other to an extent, but. Oh, that, see, there you go. That works. I was just thinking as well, uh, like tech bros at one point wanted to turn homeless people into wireless hotspots because they're all fucking inhuman psychos. And I was just thinking if they got their way, that probably would have extended to wheelchair users and that also would have solved our problems. So we should probably listen to tech people more and let like all wheelchair users have their wheelchairs be like rolling hotspots. <laughs> That'd be great. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, if any tech bros are listening out there, you can have that one for free. All right. Well, gentlemen, from the the wild wilderness of small town Seattle to the wild wilderness of probably small town Seattle adjacent or Oregon or something, uh, we watched a movie called Alone. 911, what's your emergency? I think I'm being followed. I know you're close. Are you scared? You know, as a guy who occasionally wears glasses and has a mustache, I felt, you know, a, a little, I don't know, a little upset by this movie. It kind of paints us all in a bad light, but, uh... Steve, this guy looks exactly like BTK. Is that the look you're talking <laughs> these days? He does look like BTK. That's what I'm channeling. I'm trying to give myself this, like, you know, serial killer next door kind of look, and, uh... I don't know. I don't need movies like this ruining it. Just let 80s dad mustaches be normalized again. That's what I'm trying to do. And and no one's giving it to me. It's fucking terrible. Anyways, Jake, what the fuck's alone? Uh, well, just real quick, I thought he had more of a, a Dahmer thing going on uh, with the glasses, but uh, we'll get into that. Um, so alone is a woman is uh, packing up her life into a U-Haul and driving it across the state to uh, start over. She's gone through a very uh, tragic moment in her life. And on the road, she encounters another motorist. Uh, and it's the guy, uh, the man, as he's credited. It's a creepy guy in glasses, mustache. We just call him Steve, Jake. The, yeah, yeah she, let's call him Steve. She encounters Steve, <laughs> and uh, he starts messing with her on the road, like driving slowly in front of her. And then he starts popping up at certain parts of the route. Believe, making her believe that uh, his car is broken down and is this guy is it just a coincidence or is this guy actually out to get her for some arbitrary reason and that is the plot of this miserable movie <laughs> I don't know I, I think I mean I, I don't think this movie is great by any stretch but compared to some of the other stuff that we watched yeah I, I was I was fine with it like it's totally okay and this is my big sales pitch for, for a loan. It is extremely lean, almost to the point of its own detriment. It doesn't really do anything particularly wrong in an egregious way where you're like, what the fuck? 
but it also doesn't really do anything interesting. It is like the most generic by the book thing. Doesn't make any mistakes, checks all the boxes, but then it doesn't doesn't really leave you with anything. It's kind of like an emotionless void, but formally it it, it works, I guess. Yeah, this is my my problem with this movie, uh, and I was, I'll say I think I think Alone is honestly as much as I've not been fond towards Run, I think Alone is my least favorite of the movies we're talking about here, and part of that is because uh, it's directed by John Himes, who's a real director. He's done really great stuff, including the last uh, Universal Soldier movies. Which, if you if you scoff at that, watch them. They are really impressive low budget action movies and the last one is like a, a series like it's a psychological horror movie you know it's it sneaks mm. up on you in a very odd way really fascinating stuff this guy knows what he's doing and like steve said there's nothing wrong with this film it's executed very well but like there's i don't understand who this movie is for i don't understand the purpose of this film it has a specificity to it that kind of drags me out of it. it there's, you know, the I talked earlier about uh, Ron and local flavor and getting it wrong, uh, that it's not, you know, there's no, the local flavor is made up. The regional flavor doesn't make any sense. Here, it's just sort of like, it's a forest in probably Oregon or somewhere I don't know exactly where. But yeah, it's just, there, there's nothing, there, like, there's no angle into this film. It's about a woman whose husband committed suicide. She's sad about it. She's moving on. But we get no insights into his suicide or into her grief or into the murderer and why are the, the kidnapper stalker and why he does it other than being an evil psychotic. Um, it, 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 like Steve said, it's so lean. There's nothing, there's nothing there. Um, and it, you know, it's it just, it's, it's one of those films that like the, what makes horror work for me, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, lean, you know, you can make things lean and work well, certainly if you're working with kind of interesting ideas, but if you're working to a template, you have to insert something new and interesting, something to make people remember it. Like who, what are you going to remember from alone? There's no, there's trees. That's it. That's the, like, it's just a woman looking sad in a forest for uh, 90 minutes and uh, you know there there's there's nothing to make me think about what she represented or anything um yeah it, it, and, and a weird story actually about this movie when i when i put it on i was trying out a new setup on my tv just with different plugs and stuff and obviously i found an issue with one of my my cables which led to for the first couple of minutes while she's packing up the u-haul um the signal would just phase out and I would just, it would just drop sound and image completely on like a rhythmic, like every couple of seconds, like sound and image would completely disappear uh, and then just come back up. The film would just come back up again. And through that sequence, I didn't, I didn't know that it was uh, an issue. You know, it seemed like it could be part <laughs> of the film. Yeah, it could have been part <laughs> of the film. And it was actually, it was interesting because she's going through this, like packing up of her life and she's clearly dejected. She's clearly traveling and as she's driving in the car and the image would just drop out and then cut back up and she'd still be on the road maybe in the same part of the street or you know a same street or maybe it would have cut to you know a different part and there was this kind of strange kind of time dilation effect from it that kind of led to like this woman you know kind of disjointed you know kind of disconnected from her own life was it was actually looking back on it that's literally the most interesting thing in this film and it's not meant to be there <laughs> um, i suddenly you know after it started repeating into the opening credits i realized there was something wrong with my cable connection i i changed some stuff around and fixed it and the movie honestly was worse 
And I think that's <laughs> probably not a good thing to be able to say about a film. So yeah, I'm I'm not a fan here. Um, it's unfortunately this one. I just I don't see the purpose of it. Frankly, um, it's it's so efficient in its its goals, and I don't really understand the goals. Like, there's a certain tension, sure, but I mean, it's it's fictional. Um, there's only so much self insertion you can do in terms of what would I do in this situation? You know, what would you know what happens next? Um, the the film is just by to my mind just absolutely anonymous. It it doesn't really mm-hmm. bring anything new to the table. It just feels like a, a and it's it's a remake of a film from I'm not sure where some Scandinavian country I'm guessing, um. But it feels like literally like just a remake of a photocopy of a photocopy. It just feels like a film that's just kind of like degenerated into just this kind of like singular motion that you know you're so familiar with that you just tend to just like even just sitting and watching this movie i just felt myself just tune out just like my brain would just disengage completely so yeah not a fan this is probably my (laughs) honestly my least favorite of all the films we discussed uh, it's funny because like the the one scene that does stick out to me like because you said oh yeah what what would you remember from this the the one thing that sticks out is there's a really good like practical stunt like like a car stunt <laughs> that occurs towards the end of the movie where they like flip a jeep patriot over and it looks really fucking cool and it's shot really well and then that's hilarious because this whole thing is this kind of minimalist you know exercise in intention uh and th- the coolest part would be basically straight from a universal soldier action film that's well, yeah, I mean, like like jackson this is not the the like formally this movie is better than half of what we watched um but uh i'm i wouldn't say this is the worst film but it is definitely the most disappointing considering the director's pedigree because like jack said universal soldier regeneration and day of reckoning are like two of the best action films of their respective decades and this is just yeah just a very straightforward minimalist thriller why does this movie end with like a universal soldier type fight in the mud with these two people one who has been exposed to the elements and is barefoot and has had minimal food and water and in the other guy it is in it kind of drove me mad that the movie ends the way it does is not satisfying at all yeah, I would I would wrap up the you know it kind of in in my I guess the, the summation of my thing is like this film versus Ron is kind of like this is a bad film by a filmmaker whereas Ron as terrible as it is has one thing and only one thing going for it, which is that it is so poorly constructed by someone who has no business doing what they're doing that it is a curiosity rather than a film and in this case i would say maybe a curiosity bests a film a bad film that that is the kindest thing i could say and the only way i can account for how john hyams could come up with something so stupefyingly boring frankly i mean like honestly this is like uh like the the james franco the rental like this this comes in even below that because at least that had like as much as they were annoying characters you know and that went for the same kind of minimalist vibe at least they talked to each other for a while at least there was some insight of something (laughs) happening this is like it's alone it's it's a woman on her own who sat her husband killed himself fair enough that's understandable why did he kill himself we don't know What's her thinking about it? We don't know. Why does the guy want to kill her? We don't know. 
you know, you I guess you can you can go wild with that. You can ascertain whatever you want from it, but there's mm-hmm. there's so little to work on here. It just I don't understand what you know what even the drive of this is. The script could be written in two pages. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sparse. It honestly is. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to really recommend this one. We seem to be in the minority. Uh, it's it's another one of these that like. Uh, yeah. run i keep wanting to call it Rand, but that's that's you know a little different uh, run is also based on king lear uh no anyways hey run is these like are, these are all the critically acclaimed of Ran. <laughs> uh, but yeah it's it's hard for me to be like oh i know this kind of person would like alone it, it doesn't really have an audience it's it's not particularly mean or or grisly or twisty turny or there's there's nothing you can really apply to it other than it doesn't make any glaring mistakes and yeah i I don't know what is that like what what is it going for like i feel like it's trying to do the like human will to survive and this meditation on on grief but it's not explored nearly enough in the in the film it it, again i guess maybe if you're really into the revenant then you'll get something out of this or something but i don't think she has much to live for to be completely honest it doesn't (laughs) seem like it yeah Uh, yeah yeah well i i don't know i i I would say the the weird thought i had watching this okay it's like this this film reminds me of like contemporary pornography right in that (laughs) like do explain this point Okay, all right. So contemporary pornography, if it has a problem at all, it's that essentially due to the kind of establishment of the the First Amendment protecting pornography, like it's normal to make it now, coupled with digital cinematography that allows you to just run cameras for forever in low light, you can get loads and loads of shots really quickly, means that like contemporary pornography barely needs to have a story or a setup. You can just have two people bang for like 40 minutes nonstop and that's all is as far as I can ascertain. Like that's the majority of contemporary pornography. It's like it's forty minutes of two people or more banging and done. Whereas like back in the the golden age of pornography, when it was shot on film and they had to light it among other things, and you know often had to come up with excuses to make it in the first place. It meant that porn films had all kinds of like weird shit in them and like characters and explanations and workarounds and kind of just strange aura of kind of you know justification and uh, DIY aesthetic and honestly that's why those films in a sense you know have lived on some of them you know are still fondly remembered now because of these weird elements that were integrated not necessarily because people were like this is what porn shouldn't be but because this is what was required to get it to work at all this film feels mm-hmm. like something that's moved to a point where you can get rid of all the bothersome elements and you could just make the straightforward, just strip down. We can get the shot quickly, move on. We don't have to tell the audience anything. They're used to it. They understand the genre. We we can just m- pull out all the information and leave it as just like a threadbare, minimalist survival tale. And frankly, this is boring. Like No one's going to remember this movie. This movie is going to be forgotten in like three or four months. Honestly, I'm not sure anyone's going to remember it by 2021 and everyone's stuck at home you know there's nothing there's no 
there's no charm there's no nothing unusual there's you know it doesn't even have like i'm talking a lot about like regional appeal there's not even like a quirky townsfolk you know to like you know at least get like some people in some town somewhere to hold on to but it's like a movie that was made here it's just there's nothing to the film it's just an assembly line production that check it's like a checklist of things and they checked it off and it's all fine and they just released it and no one's gonna remember this no one's gonna be i cannot imagine anyone watching this and going that's one of my favorite movies or i'm gonna watch that again or i'm gonna buy <laughs> this on blu-ray like i cannot imagine anyone having that response to this movie other than watching going that was certainly a film you know, uh, yeah, and that, yeah. that's my that's my it's like contemporary pornography. It has it's just like they checked off all the positions and then they move on. They're done. <laughs> you know, I, I would say like I, I almost feel like I, and obviously we all came to a similar conclusion. So I'm giving it more thought than it probably deserves. But it it, it almost feels like I'm missing something with this film because it's. It, doesn't follow the same beats that this sort of movie ought to in many ways. Like, you don't really feel nature taking its toll on, on our protagonist here. It, it, it's really kind of scattershot once we get to this point where, you know, you're not even halfway into the movie when she escapes into the woods and you're kind of like, all right, this is going to be the rest of the movie. Our, the man against nature. Uh, mm -hmm. and this other guy will be lurking in the background on occasion. But it, it's just like this series of really brief vignettes almost where she'll fall in a river and then, uh, boom, she meets up with this other guy. And then, again, the killer's yeah, back it's, already. It, it's broken it, into chapters for some reason. Yeah. And the, the uh, opening is also paced very strangely, too. Like, if you... I, I get that he's attempting to build tension, but... It, it almost crosses a line into the ludicrous when she runs into HBK like like six times on this same road trip. It's like, what, yeah, why do I'm we a, need to do this? What's the I, purpose? I think the, the only part of the film that rang in any way interesting to me is that there is this kind of building of that he's clearly chasing. He's clearly following her, but he hasn't broken the law yet. There's, there's nothing actionable within it. Um, and that her as an isolated woman understands that threat and she also she never wavers like she there's one point like towards the end where he stages a breakdown and he he asks her for a ride uh, and she doesn't give him a ride it's like she doesn't break any of the rules you know in horror films you're always like screaming at the person like don't do this you know don't give them a ride don't turn your back don't do this or that she mostly doesn't do that and there is an element later on in the film where when she meets the hunter um and he and the, the kidnapper finds the two of them and he's negotiating with the hunter claiming that she's his sister and that she's mentally unwell because of the suicide of her husband he's leveraging her own personal grief against her because he's, he's learned a few things about her um, that you know there is like a psychological element of this of that you know in a society that we may not you know we may side with bad people we you know we're subject mm -hmm. to social engineering we can be manipulated by someone you know like that you know so there's those elements of you know kind of I guess of social uh, of dangers or you know that we we can be we, you know what would we do in that situation those are the most interesting parts but they're also i guess, say so specific that i don't think they they read outside of the movie um and like you're right at, at the end of it i mean it just ends in a big a big jeep flip and a, a punch up and mud 
All After you she's need, like baby. cracked him over the head like seven times with a tire iron. I mean, Jesus Christ. How much does it take to put this guy out? I see, I feel like this he reads strictly as metaphor to me. Nothing about this feels like realism. It it feels like he's the specter of her husband's death. And, you know, no matter where she goes, how many times she thinks she's moved past it and, and left him behind, and back it comes again and again. But, but then she manipulates him towards the end. Like The only way she can get a, a one-up on him is by bringing his own marriage into question, which to me suggests he is a real person. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I read him as allegorical at all. Uh, he, he just seems like kind of, you know, your textbook, like he's a killer, he's a sociopath. Like imagine a person who hunts people for sport, and pretends mm. he's on a business trip. Um, and actually, you know, one of the one of the points that I thought would have been interesting in the film, and they didn't follow, was when she met the hunter. It's wondering where they're working in sync, and this is going to be like you know multiple, you know, killers ganging up. Like I saw the devil or something, which you know was a movie that had like <laughs> random like cliques of serial killers who all know each other and are friends. Um, that's a much more amusing film for various reasons. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't read as allegorical to me. This reads like just kind of like um, it, it reads almost like um, the you know we're not going to expound on anything because the world is so depraved or sick or you know you've read all the true crime stuff and you can't believe how like evil Ted Bundy was that we're gonna you know kind of downplay all of those elements and just like this is just a dude who just wants to kill you and that's it. You know it's very serious. And yeah, it just kind of leaves the whole thing to me very boring and flat. You know, we need, you know, there needs to be an authorship there. And there, there isn't. The author has specifically, I think, stepped back from this. And it, it leaves a very, a very bland text. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, we can sure. both agree that uh, whether he's allegorical or just a, a sick, sad individual... Uh, it's still a bland text and not successful in portraying either. <laughs> Unfortunately, and, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, also, the, a lesson you could take away is if you do happen to run into HBK uh, on four separate occasions during your road trip, you, you may want to, like, alter your route, you know, get off that main highway because it's not going to go well, I don't think. That, that yeah. is frustrating that it's, like, it's very ground and realistic, and yet he still has this, like, I know where you are at all times. I'm always yeah. there. And it's kind of like, this is 80s slasher shit, you know? If, if you're going <laughs> to yeah. go for, like, if you're going to go for, like, you know, grounded realism, then you can't put that in there. You have to have some kind of an explanation other than, like, I know these parts. It's like, I don't care how well you know these parts. You can't have, like, down to the second of staging, like, a road accident. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it doesn't even really live up to its own brief in a lot of ways. All right, boys. Well, we got to move on. We still got two other movies to talk about. So uh, let's let's turn things up a notch. Let's uh, let's get a little Nicolas Cage action fair in here. Uh, we watched Jiu-Jitsu. The comet you see in the sky right now passes over the Earth every six years and causes a portal. But when it's open, we get a visitor from a distant galaxy. Poet warrior in the sci-fi sense. The spaceman. Jake, is this Predator for gamers and anime weebs? It's Predator for dummies, that's for sure. <laughs> what the fuck is this movie? Uh, oh, I mean, Predator for dummies, that kind of works. Pred that's, that's Predator meets Mortal Kombat, I think, would probably be the, the, the tagline if, if you're going to yeah. go for one. That seems a little bit more, more aligned. It's, yeah, it's Predator, but, like, the alien has got, like, this doofy-looking Power Rangers suit. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. This movie, this movie is just, 
bad and it could have been fun <laughs> because like that that 22nd spot you played with Nicolas Cage narrating that felt more riveting than anything that I saw in jujitsu which is yeah. 102 minutes of just bad martial arts and not to say that the choreography is bad because there's actually some decent stuff in here but just the way that everything is presented is just all wrong it, it does have a really weird feeling to it now I didn't completely hate this movie because it's extremely low budget, but it's that sweet spot of like not embarrassing, but not too high. It almost feels like if you're watching like sci-fi channel and the year is 1998 and it's a Saturday afternoon, like this is the type of thing that would play on there. And it's got a, a, you know, a predator alien in a big stupid rubber suit. It's got a bunch of guys doing, good fight choreography ruined by bad camera work and then a pretty hammy performance by Nicolas Cage and a story that makes no sense because it's like it's Predator but also Mortal Kombat and this happens every six years and also it's happening in a weird way this time because the main character is a pussy I'm not sure there's a lot going on a lot a lot happening so I I don't know I'll, I'll add, uh, so I just want to cut in and I'll just say, like, I've been a fond of negativity, but honestly, I like this movie on the whole. I'll, this, this movie is fine. It's okay. <laughs> Compared to the last year, this is a breeze. <laughs> well, it does have that first person camera work that you love so much because uh, oh, you're, you're the number one fan of hardcore Henry. Right? I feel like it's somehow worse than like first person POV because it's it's horrible first person POV and then it keeps like shifting like the director thinks he's some fucking mastermind where the the main actor like morphs in and out of first person point of view. Dude, yeah, yeah that was like insane. Nothing, nothing Jake has said is wrong about this film. Okay, <laughs> the the choreography is solid. The presentation is dog shit in many places, but I do think there's a certain endearing characteristic in this. The director is absolutely just throwing shit at a wall. Um, yeah. but, what, but what I will appreciate about it is the action is still quite clear and cogent despite him randomly like doing a barrel roll with the camera over that's clearly the thing he wants to do is like that's the thing he invented is that whenever someone does like a somersault he does a barrel roll with the camera that's like his thing i think he wants it to be his thing and it's very stupid and it doesn't work but um yeah th this movie is kind of like uh, honestly, because the underlying choreography is relatively solid, the only fight that really indulges in some really egregious stunt doubling is the one involving Nick Cage, who clearly is not a oh, martial God. artist. So, and it's, <laughs> and it's also clearly middle-aged and beyond. So, you know, it's kind of strange that he's one of Earth's greatest warriors facing off against an alien menace. I'm not sure how he, he managed that. But um, yeah, this film to me has enough goofy, weird stuff in it that, there, you know, I will fully acknowledge there's parts of this film I don't understand. The storyline I can't explain. I can't, I can't tell you why things no. happen. They have clothes that make them invisible to the predator alien, but they don't wear them or they take them down to fight him. And it's like, if you're going to fight him... Would you not want to be invisible? Also, the alien has incredible healing powers. The human fighters are better than him. They keep inflicting wounds on him that if he were a human would kill him. 
and then he just heals up and keeps killing them and then later on Nick Cage talks about how the alien is looking for an honorable fight I don't understand how any of these <laughs> things mesh. Did anyone else figure, like, is there a line I missed that explains any of that? Uh, no. no. Okay, isn't, like, isn't the alien, like, from time immemorial and he taught all these fighting skills to the uh, Order yeah, of the Jiu-Jitsu? Ju yeah. yeah, he taught them Jiu-Jitsu uh, so, specifically. Yeah, presumably he would then, I mean, with all this time to practice, just going around, you know, fighting the best warriors uh, every six years from time immemorial, then he he would presumably be the best fighter of them all. But no, he, he's not really. But <laughs> he's, I, he's pretty I, bad at it, honestly, in a lot of yeah, cases. Yeah. Well, I mean, that suit would really encumber, encumber the guy. So yeah, take it for what it is. I, I wonder that they even had like a working script for this thing because it's just... And nonsense. Yeah, I was Nothing thinking that about too. Like, it makes it, any sense. It, it's it's pretty scattershot and weird, and also it, it it just feels like it's made by someone who's like twenty seven years old and spent half the budget on cocaine. And I, it, but but I was surprised when I learned that the director is not a coked out twenty seven year year old, but uh, instead a probably coked out like sixty year old because it's it's Dimitri uh, Logothetis. I don't know if that name rings a bell. He's done a bunch of dumb bullshit like uh, like kickboxer sequels from two years ago, things that maybe the world doesn't really need right now. Uh, but what I know him from is a little movie called Slaughterhouse Rock from like the late 1980s. Have any of you guys seen Slaughterhouse Rock? Yeah, I'm I not, but I'm going to watch not. it. I'm going to watch that immediately. I'm going to drop it's, off uh, this, this podcast what? to watch it. Let me paint you a picture of a of a better coked out idiot movie where <laughs> a guy has like nightmares about Alcatraz prison. So he goes and visits it and then he goes with his brother and his brother is possessed by a cannibal demon. And so the guy enlists the help of Tony Basil, the Hey That's Mickey I'm girl. Just, I'm just looking at this Tony Basil's first credit. Like, why the where has this been in my life? Yeah, yeah, and she's like a she's like a ghost too, but she's the ghost of like a female rock band or something. And then I think Devo does the whole soundtrack. It's fucking awesome. So, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's not not the best thing, but it, this guy has basically been making things on this level his entire life. He's he's just he never lost his his I'm 27 and doing too much coke face. It's just carried all the way through. Good shit. I I appreciate this movie. Like has like the main draw here for martial arts fans is. Probably above all else, Tony Jaa is, is in the film. Uh, and I think it's really funny they have him in there and he has maybe two lines of dialogue because he doesn't speak English. And there's just they just leave him there and he does a couple of things. And that's it. He's just And he's not the main character. And he's not really important yeah. to the action by the end of it. Uh, but he's just there. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, yeah. I, what I would say about this movie is um, the first the first 20 minutes of this movie... It never betters them, sadly. Like, and that is that is a problem. Um, it it's one of those movies that, frankly, um, if I were to deliver like a it, the structural problem with this movie, and it's something that actually curiously affects a lot of movies of this kind of budget level, is that it, there's too much action. Like, 
they have a lot of movies you like there's not enough action like action movies put on airs and they have people talking and it's like shut the fuck up and hit each other you know mm. get get with the program not jujitsu jujitsu has like it opens with like three action scenes back to back for 20 minutes without barely stopping like there, there's one sequence i guess where they talk and there's that a, a translator there's there's a comic black sidekick in a movie in 2020 Terrible. amazing uh i mean i uh, yeah it's it's pretty dumb but honestly what were we expecting from mortal kombat meets predator i mean let's keep our real let's keep our expectations realistic here but by by a certain point in this movie you do start to kind of feel like a little punch drunk there's just mm-hmm. action sequence after action sequence and while the choreography is solid and in a few places noteworthy at a like by the seventh you know big punch up you're kind of like uh you know could someone just like talk for a little bit could we explain something um even nick cage's like long like nick cage is like our uh, not quite the audience surrogate because he's nick cage but the guy who delivers all of the like story elements and even he has to like fight the main character in the middle of it oh and spoiler alert it turns out he's his dad nick cage is like the main character's dad for <laughs> no particular reason uh, i would i characterize that as a spoiler if it mattered um, no it's just yeah, a throw-in uh, at the end no, and then yeah. the movie's all there. smug about it they're like oh you didn't know to the main character i'm like i didn't fucking know either that's stupid <laughs> no one says anything to each other in this movie. How would you know anything about what's happening? Yeah. And this is why, by the end of it, we're like, why is why is any of this happening? Why is it every six years? Why does the alien want to fight? Apparently, uh, the main character ran away six years ago or something, and now the alien's pissed, so now he's, like, preying on civilians. And by civilians, I mean heavily armed uh, soldiers. I don't even think you've got that down right, Jack. I think he ran away, like... I think he ran away mere moments before we entered oh, the film. Oh, moments ago, that's right. Okay, because the mm-hmm. opening sequence, I wasn't entirely sure about that. Okay, so he ran away from the fight and got amnesia, and then they, like, fill him in on, like, the last day, um, which is really high-stakes shit, and then and- he comes back in. <laughs> Great, okay, cool. That, yeah, so that far as I can tell, everything. six years prior, Nick Cage had run away from the fight, even though yeah. I don't know what right, distinguishes okay. like what generation would be fighting at what time when the thing comes every six years. Why wouldn't this strapping uh, <laughs> son of Nick Cage be the one fighting in that go round? I it, none of it makes any logical it does, sense. Yeah, and then Nick Cage fights him, and Nick Cage is like the big honor. Like they, they, Nick Cage ran away from him six years ago, but when they fight the alien, like obviously has like an extra reverence for Nick Cage. For no particular reason, which is in direct contravention to everything he said previously in the movie. They do like a little honor move before they start fighting, mm-hmm. like they understand yeah, each like other. Yeah, like they're bros. They, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you remember the uh, the Predators movie from like 2010 with Adrian Brody, uh, which is just a, like a, a bunch of con convicts thrown onto the Predator planet uh, for the Predator sport. And like halfway through the movie, they run into Lawrence Fishburne, who's apparently survived out there for who knows how long. And that's what the Nicolas Cage role felt to me is he's the guy who's kind of survived the alien mm-hmm. all these years. So, but yeah, again, this is just derivative of a weaker alien or predator sequel, not even the original. Right. What it needs is just like any touch up, frankly, any touch up on the script would certainly go a long fucking way because you get no sense of this world at all. This is, takes place in Burma, I believe. And uh, or Myanmar, whichever uh, suits you. But um, <laughs> yeah, so 
it's about this ancient order of jujitsu monks or something, except you get, uh, we never see any other characters except for these warriors and the warriors are in no way fucking Burmese. That's for fucking sure. All it's, it's like Frank Grillo and Nick Cage. It's, it's a bunch of like grizzled white guys, like out in the middle of this fucking jungle. And that doesn't, uh, it doesn't jive with the story you're telling. Frankly, it's not like this is about recruiting the best warriors from across the continents. That's not, what this is that's not what's mentioned it's not the story you're telling and again the time frame thing it's just the stupidest I, I i was telling jack the only thing i could think of as to why it would be six years because it's so illogical in the structure is that they they were trying to set up sequels with the same cast is the only thing mm-hmm. i could possibly think of absolutely yeah i think that might be it adam i think you honestly hit the nail on the head that if uh, the director of this swap with john hyams uh, from alone if they do if we swap directors those movies we could have ended up with alone probably wouldn't benefit from it but jiu-jitsu could have benefited extensively um but even i would that- be pretty fucking weird with this guy <laughs> <laughs> probably, honestly it could be yeah uh, you know what actually probably so because i mean i say i actually i quite enjoyed this i this is absolutely a crack of beer and just put it on kind of a movie it's it, as much as I complained about like alone having like this this bereftness of detail, you know, it's it's a blank slate, and then Ron has details, but they're all stupid and they don't make any sense. This movie has like somehow amidst all the punch ups has almost too much explanation. None mm. of it that actually explains anything. There's just an enormous amount of people talking about lore and honor and respect and fighting and a comet and a portal. Uh, and honestly, it kind of translates into a movie that, uh, you know, I'll remember this. This is at least something. It's cynical, certainly. Like, it, it really is Predator above all else. Like, it is absolutely someone just, like, kind of ripping off another movie incredibly. But, like, what if they did martial arts rather than carried around, like, a minigun? But, you know, it's it's kind of like... For the budget and the setup, there's a couple. There are a couple of really good martial arts sequences in this, and I think Tony Jaws they did they do like a kind of a big one shot sequence, which I mean I know is kind of like the du jour, but I thought there was kind of something nice to that because honestly I think the one take martial arts sequence in contemporary action cinema really took off with the Protector with Tom Jung with what Tom Jung Un I guess is the the Tony Jaw film. Um, has this phenomenal one-take sequence in it. Um, and that really was, like, to me, watching that back in, like, I guess 2008, 2006, I don't remember when that movie came out. It felt like, you know, it felt like things had changed. I mean, an Ong Bok with Tony Ja felt like, you know, mm-hmm. like it's an epoch-defining action film, you know, that that changed action cinema everywhere. You couldn't do the old stuff anymore because Ong Bok just changed it it was just no one you had to have full contact stuff you know and i guess moving on to some degree you know the raid is like the raid honestly isn't even epoch changing honestly it's in it's still in the sway of ong bok and the protector um Mm -hmm. so it's kind of nice to see tony job brought back into that fold again to do it even if even if it's really like a pale imitation it's kind of like you know it's very kind of calculating kind of a thing you know, on this budget level, you know, why not? It's it's kind of fun. The action is clear um, in terms of what the, like, the performers are capable. They're doing this stuff, even if, sure, the director is, like, swinging the camera and wild and is like, let's do this in first person. And it's like, 
a general cinema rule I would add to any aspiring directors out there. If at any point someone says, let's do it first person, never do that. It's always a bad idea. I think the only example that I can think of that's not a terrible idea is uh, that Humphrey Bogart movie, the name of which escapes, that like opens with an extended first person sequence because uh, he has amnesia. Um, outside of that, just don't, don't bother. Well, maybe it's, this was an homage to that. This guy also has <laughs> <laughs> You know, it could, it could be, who knows? Uh, you know, honestly, with enough coke in your system, anything can just like, these are connected now through oh interstellar God. comets and shit. See, what I would say is, is too bad this movie doesn't star Tony Jaa. It stars fucking sentient slab of beef. And, uh, yeah. Well, he speaks English. You can't, like, they, they don't have, I don't Why? think he speaks Why? He's brain English. damaged. Just make him not fucking speak English. <laughs> yeah, he, he can't speak. He's a silent protagonist. The end. We've solved it. Now get rid of yep. your military bullshit that doesn't have any place in this movie and, uh, and cut your uh, digital effects budget down to zero fucking dollars and we might be onto something. <laughs> that is true. They have the whole military military set up at the start there's just a, a u.s occupying group in burma which is entirely uh that that's believable but yeah there's like a woman and there's like i think it's supposed to be sexual tension between her and beefcake but she but, just dies and, and then she, yeah, she just disappears <laughs> in one of the many extended action sequences that opens the film and then yeah there, there's no other reason you know, I, I mean, I can dis... Like, there's so much wrong with this movie, but honestly, isn't this what cinema's all about? Just a bunch of random <laughs> is it, shit. Is it? I don't know. Well, a I think the last little. thing that I can say about this, we got one movie left we got to move on to, but uh, in the last year, there's been worse Nicolas Cage movies released, so think of it that way. You could do worse. You could do much worse. You could watch Primal. I, I mean, don't, but you could <laughs> if you really wanted to. So there's that. All right, gentlemen, we got one last movie to talk about. So uh, how about something good? We watch Possessor. After initial binding, you'll be locked in with no loss of control permitted during this performance. Can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? Myros, what the fuck is Possessor? Uh, it's a, it's a worthy follow-up to the work of David Cronenberg. I, I think it might honestly be a more interesting uh, exploration of the evolving themes of Videodrome than Cronenberg's uh, own uh, existence. Uh, I, I, I find this to be Cronenberg's uh, son, Brandon, coming into his own as a filmmaker. I, I think this is really good shit. Really good shit. That is good shit. Also, my God, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this thing, I just want to say, like, practical gore effects in this are intense. Like, yes. really good, but damn, <laughs> yeah. Brandon Cronenberg goes yeah, hard. Absolutely. Uh, it's yeah, absolutely. It's so hard. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, like, I don't want to, I'm not want to get uncomfortable around, like, graphic violence in a film, but, like, this movie is just uncommonly vicious, which mm -hmm. is great. Yeah, no, yeah. this is, um, this is absolutely, um, when you when you watch like run and alone and then you watch another movie you might just think like wow this is really good because it just has like an idea and a visual schema but i think possessor is it's like this is genuinely good and i'm sure brandon cronenberg got a head start through nepotism but frankly he's he's doing some good work here this is a really interesting conceptual sci-fi thriller um Kind of that puts me in mind of I mean the the central plot premise of this effectively is there is a company that um 
they they basically accept assassination requests. They're they're in the job of of killing people for profit, and they have a very novel way of doing it, where they kid I guess kidnap the person or or otherwise interfere with the person and are able to put some kind of an implant in their head, which then allows them to insert another person's consciousness into that person. So then they can control that person and they can use that person as the actual uh, kind of actor in a murder. And then that person can usually commit suicide or whatever, and it can be blamed as like a psychic break. And it's basically a, a, a clean assassination with no suspicion or whatsoever. And this is obviously sci-fi, very much re uh, kind of reminiscent of Ghost in the Shell, which explored similar ideas of digitizing consciousness, of someone invading your consciousness, of, the, the, of effectively hacking the human mind. But I mean... In, in our contemporary society where you have people like, but the first things I was put in mind, it was like drone operators, you know, people who just drive to work and sit down in front of a computer and pilot a plane and blow up a bunch of people in a totally different country and then drive home and hug their kids. You know, it's, it's this very strange idea of this kind of distanciation between act and, and intent and a kind of like a, a, a bureaucratic structure and I, it kind of bleeds out from that further to, you know, kind of an idea of effectively alienation from your job, just generally. Maybe your job isn't killing people, but this idea that your your very kind of cognizance as a human being is being owned and devalued by a corporation. You start to feel like you're not yourself anymore. You start to question it. You start to wonder what you're working for. And uh, there's, there's just a lot of really great ideas in this wrapped up in a kind of solid paranoid thriller that as you guys have pointed out is just insanely violent um which yeah if you're if you're looking for just old school blood on the dance floor shit this is like all out just crazy so yeah i'm i'm you know everything else i jujitsu i enjoyed the other two movies suck but this is genuine like actually prioritize this this is worth your time no, this is this is really good shit, and I I don't know. Like at, at first, I was struggling with this because it. I mean, it is Brandon Cronenberg. He's the son of David Cronenberg, and his work is so similar stylistically, thematically to his dad, and so you have that direct comparison. And part of me is like, Brandon Cronenberg, please spread your wings and fly away from daddy. But at the same time, kind of like Myros alluded to. Uh, a second ago this is this is really good shit he's taking a lot of the stuff that his father did and and really expanding on it and taking it to different places so i guess this movie's enjoyable on multiple levels because yeah it's it's gory and it's weird and it's smart and it's just well made but also it's it feels directly linked to another filmmaker that i absolutely love so yeah yeah that's the thing good daddy's shit. gone he's not coming mm -hmm. back I mean, no. I guess he's making some Netflix thing, but he's really been way out of this wheelhouse for many moons now, and uh, no one has picked up that torch, and a lot of that has to do with the industry, certainly, because who the fuck's going to make this movie? Uh, <laughs> thank Neon, the Lord for nepotism in this instance, because I, this is not a thing that's going to get any funding in under normal circumstances, but... Uh, again, I, I mean, it, I'm sure, I'm interested to see how he evolves as a filmmaker, but if he wants to modernize uh, the concepts his father pioneered, then I'm here for it. I think uh, something that struck me about this, not just obviously um, 
it struck me this would make, a, I think, a really interesting total bill with a history of violence. Cronenberg's, obviously, Cronenberg Sr.'s film, which is also about a guy who's kind of hardwired for this kind of, like, predisposition and capability, this kind of aberrant nature of violence in society and how it can manifest and act out. Um, you know, I think both films have some kind of a, a perspective on that specific issue. But uh, the Ghost in the Shell reference is certainly not insignificant to this. I think Momoro Oshii is, is uh, very much on Cronenberg's mind here. There are several sequences in here. There's, there's a fantastic sequence they have um, where the guy, is, uh, the guy who's had someone has hacked his consciousness um, is kind of questioning his... I, I think it actually might be around the time when he's getting implanted with the other person's consciousness so this fantastic sequence of like it's building skin on in invis like it's like liquid skin being poured on and just forming his face and deforming his face as it pulls mm. off and it's this very unusual kind of idea of her you know bodies as malleable and maybe you know conceptual within a kind of a digital realm which plays into the film's theories but it's also i mean it, this is ghost in the shell innocence the sequel to that film i mean it's so reminiscent of the credit sequence of that visually yeah. um so i think there there's this real genuine i think following up not just of cronenberg but also of like oshi's work in terms of you know uh, you know, human consciousness in a digital age is kind of a, a, a what we say, like as a kind of a, a God, what would be the right word for it? You know, as a, as a corporate entity or something that can be owned as a, a proprietary thing that we can access, that we can manipulate, that we can steal or change, or companies can have you know access to or or take home or whatever, privatize your your entity, etc. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, this film is just brimming with ideas, and there's a visual sense to it as well. Aside from just the overt violence, there's this you know wonderful sequences of overlapping consciousness that's developed in these kind of unusual, surreal visual cues. Um, yeah, the, I, honestly, I think is this Brandon Cronenberg's second feature only after Antiviral. I don't know yeah. if he's made yep. any other features. Yeah, and it's like he's really. Like, this is impressive. This is, you know, like, I know other people, I know that he has his fans, but, like, fucking Alex Garland wishes he could make a film like this, <laughs> frankly, in yeah. my experience. Uh, this this is really, really good. I don't know. I only watched it World earlier Denis. today. Yeah. This reminded yeah, he, me a lot of what he was attempting to do with Enemy, but... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Denis is, is nowhere near the... Uh, filmmakers <laughs> brandon cronenberg already I, that's, is. that's an interesting uh connection because uh sarah gadon i think is in um antiviral who was like the main actress in in enemy which put me in mind of them as well and she's thanked in this film i don't think she has a role but yeah it definitely put me in mind of villeneuve's uh, enemy which is yeah absolutely i think a film that wishes it could be possessor or even antiviral frankly um yeah it's, it, this is this is good. What? Are, why are we talking about this? How did this get on the roster? <laughs> Steve, you fucked up. You know, going into this, the whole idea was like, let's do critically acclaimed new releases and also this jujitsu movie because it looks dumb as fuck and it'll probably be fun. And I, I had no idea what I was. I was dragging you guys through a, a fucking ditch full of glass. So sorry <laughs> about that. But uh, hey, Possessor's great. Yeah. <laughs> It's also like with the like Jack said highlighted the the scene where 
um the possessor takes over andrea riseborough or it's like her it's like a stop motion animated sequence where like her skin like melts in a time lapse onto the form of the guy who she's targeted and then later on once his consciousness starts to fight back uh, this is basically like used in all of the promo materials is this image of like him finally getting access to her memories it's like him ripping off her face and using it as a mask which it's just such a like a brilliant visual it's style it is. yeah it's, it's uh, Adam. You you mentioned uh, that this could have been like a Christopher Nolan movie gone. Like it could go wrong, like one. And I think that's absolutely on the money. Like this is this is twisty and conceptual, like a Christopher Nolan movie, but also smart in a way that Christopher Nolan movies tend not to be because he's kind of weirdly melodramatic, often at the weirdest times. Um, this is kind of like if if you like enjoy Inception, but you're also okay with watching just people's heads just getting splattered. This is a great <laughs> movie for you. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like Nolan doesn't have the fascination fascination with biology that the Cronenbergs seemingly uh, inherit in their DNA or something. But I don't know. This is such a bizarre clinical movie in some ways, and yet. Cronenberg, uh, the senior, and apparently his son, I'm going to lump in too. Uh, they just approach this sort of narrative in a very different way than Nolan is capable of. They, they both seem equally sort of disgusted by uh, human physiology as filmmakers, and uh, but the Cronenbergs will dive into that disgust, and uh, Nolan just pretends that everyone's a machine. <laughs> It's, well, it's interesting you say that because what I really love, too, about Possessor is that this movie does the one thing right about a body switch movie where the first thing you do is you go into the bathroom and you look at your new genitals, which is what the Andrea Riseborough does through this guy's body, which is oh, like yeah. is really, really just a great touch. Yeah, you'll never see a dick in a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, this and a Freaky yeah. Friday have find curious alliances or 13 going on 30. Yeah, like he just... Or vice, vice versa with Judge Reinhold. <laughs> <laughs> it's a proud cinematic legacy. Yeah. It really is, truly. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, we're running pretty long here, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But uh, yeah, I'll say again, if you haven't seen Possessor yet, I think it's there's a video on demand release of it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. You can, you can but... get it on VOD now, and I think the Blu-ray is out one week after the release of this podcast. I will Perfect. say that there See? seems... Is there a censored version of this movie? Because uh, they, uh, there's like an uncut... But I have not seen a cut version necessarily I, out there. Yeah, it's it's like released everywhere as Possessor Uncut. And there's like some... There's a lot of graphic nudity in this as well. Um, okay. Like there's even, a, there's even like a full-on erect schlong at one point. Yeah, but, um, yeah. A lot, but, of, yeah. a lot of dog. But I would, yeah. I would just caution uh, the listeners, uh, you know, there might be a, a censored version floating around out there. So get the uncut. Yeah, Possessor Uncut. Yeah, check out some dudes' dicks. They're there for you. All right, guys. Uh, well, let's. I guess we're gonna. Have to, it's time to put over shit. We're doing it. So first of all, thank you to our, our generous patrons out there. And uh, yeah, we got we got more stuff coming for you in 2021. And uh, Jake, what are you what are you putting over this week? Oh shit, I was not ready. Um, let me see. <laughs> so okay. I love catching people off guard. This that's, is good. You're making Myros look good right now. <laughs> that's fine. Well, aside from uh, a, a possessor, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and put over another. Uh, we're you know out of the woods of Halloween, but I'm gonna put over another horror movie uh, by Dario Argento. 
that I had just discovered and watched recently uh, called Sleepless. Uh, and I know Jack has recently watched this as well. Uh, I got a copy off of the Mondo Macabro label. Um, but as far as uh, late period post-2000 uh, Dario Argento films go, uh, it's excellent. Um, it's gorgeous. Uh, there's a lot of like demolished faces in the movie. Uh, yeah, I would I would say check it out if you think he's uh, somebody who's lost his like way after the '90s. Uh, no, he definitely has a, still has a couple good things left in him. So uh, yeah, Sleepless Argento. Uh, that is my recommendation. All right, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Here, I thought he would at least pick an Argento that involved the, the recently departed Dario uh, Nicolodi. But, uh, no. the, those are all those yeah. are all great as well deep red highly recommended as well uh rest in peace yeah i'm gonna put over uh something real stupid now we had uh, a game we got for uh, the holidays here it was called exploding kittens it's a little card game some sort of a juiced up uno with a you know for the internet age if you will but uh it's a simple little thing but not uh, mindless and uh yeah, I, I'd recommend it. It, it. it helped pass the time at Thanksgiving. It was a, it was an actual surprise. So, uh, exploding kittens. Uh, you want a little card game to get you through these holidays when you have to uh, discuss things with uh, ignorant relatives. And check it out. <laughs> it's a glowing endorsement. Jack, what are you putting over this week? Well, th- this is strange in that I can both endure Sleepless, which I think is fantastic, and also Exploding Kittens is good fun. I'm, I feel very much in the loop so far. Uh, I'm going to put over uh, Francesco Rossi's The Mattei Affair, The Mattei Affair, which is a movie I have been looking for literally for years, and I couldn't find a decent quality copy of it. Any, I couldn't find any quality copy of it for forever. I think there was an ancient Italian DVD long out of print, and I couldn't find torrenting downloading nothing i just it, it dead end after dead end couldn't find it apparently it was wrapped up in rights issues and stuff well lo and behold a new 4k restoration has just dropped on the criterion channel from i think the world cinema project or something like that something along those lines just on criterion channel just suddenly overnight i can watch the matea affair in fucking 1080p sparkling perfection it's a great film. It's exactly what I expect of a of a Francesco Rossi film. It's a true story about a guy named uh, Enrico Mattei who headed up the Italian state oil company through the 1960s uh, and challenged American and British hegemony of the oil industry and kind of used state funds to build his company and then started working with Middle Eastern and African groups, building up their industries in competition. And then he mysteriously died in a plane crash. And uh, yeah, who could have imagined? So uh, Rossi's film is a kind of a reconstruction of his his life and goals. Um, Matei is played by Jean-Marie Volante in a fantastic performance. Um, a really great, just kind of like uh, socially conscious political thriller uh, with some kind of unusual documentary elements to it. Francesco Rossi appears or inserts someone in his role as a filmmaker here and there as like gathering information about it. Um, really, just a really great film that kind of... Uh, I get in a, in a sense maybe a little diminished now and that we're more used to this idea but basically when it dropped in like the early 70s is basically like um, yeah I'm pretty sure this guy was murdered by probably Americans uh, so they can make more blood money 
Um, so a, a pretty pretty good film, well worth it, and I'm just so pleased that it's available. I hope a Blu-ray release follows, but for now it is on the Criterion channel, in, and the new restoration is fantastic. So yeah, check it out, The Matei Affair. All right, and this week I'm putting over, well, I'm, I guess I'm putting over Dawn of the Dead, but not the movie itself. Uh, Second Sight just put out a completely over-the-top, ridiculous version special limited edition of dawn of the dead and it's it's probably the most absurd single film release i've ever seen in my entire life it's huge like i i have not seen a single disc release that is this thick on a shelf it is just a a, a robust <laughs> package and it's like I, I think it's seven discs all together like two audio cds and and five discs with uh no, there's there's a Blu-ray disc and like four different uh, 4K UHD discs, and there's two books in it. It's just it's a lot. It's a lot. And well, I've got it on my shelf, and Jake's got his, and Jack's never gonna get his because the postman stole it. How's that feel, Jack? It sucks, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> really, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you enjoy your copy while mine is perpetually trapped in New Jersey. Yeah, if if only you knew how great it was, and maybe oh, you man, will it sounds good. Yeah, mm. really fantastic. Maybe you can read the books to me over yeah. the phone. Sometimes I will. I'll give I'll give you a call. I'll read those through, and I'll just I'll give mine you know little soft little kisses. Uh, and yeah, you can yeah. cry. Steve and I will uh, tuck you into bed each night with a, a little chapter from the Dawn of the Dead book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe someday. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Other than that, uh, if you are listening to this podcast right now, you need to do us a big favor. There are links in the description to this podcast, and there's two that you need to click. The first one will take you to our iTunes page, and once you reach that iTunes page, do us a big favor. Leave us a five-star written review. Why would you do such a thing? Well, one, it takes like two fucking seconds, okay? It's not a big deal. Just please do it. And two, it boosts up our visibility in the uh, mystical iTunes algorithm and you got to ask yourself, who else is going to cover 2020's jujitsu? And the answer is not a lot of podcasts. So we are giving you things that you really can't get anywhere else. You need us, and, and we need you. So help us out here. Uh, the other link is to our Patreon. If you have not become a patron of Optimism Vaccine yet, now, now is the time. And, well, maybe it's not. If, if you're broke because of a you know, global pandemic, we get it. Don't fucking worry about it. But if you still have a job, if you got a little extra scratch, it would really help us out. Podcasting is expensive. Hosting is expensive. Equipment is expensive. Don't we want Jake and Jack and Myros and Steve, don't we want them to sound their absolute best? And how will we do that without money? Because we're all broke idiots. So, uh, yeah, if, if you got a couple extra bucks you can throw us, uh, you could do that. And that will give you access to the Optimism Vaccine Patreon private feed. There's all kinds of written content, audio content, new stuff coming, all kinds of things. World is, world is, uh, is your oyster. Once you get on there, all kinds of beautiful things for you to discover. Myros, when, when we got uh, we got that new Blumhouse thing coming, when's that coming? Uh, hard for me to give a firm date because Sean Glennis is on a, a mini hiatus here. So uh, it, it'll be, we'll say in December sometime. I, I, I vow to get it out in December. All right. That's good. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, I just want to put you on the spot. That's all. <laughs> Other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros is standing by, hitting refresh. 
uh, waiting for your emails. Also, you can tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine. And uh, yeah, just, you know, say hi, drop in, say hello. And with that, I guess that wraps things up. So, Jake, final word is yours. I'm Jake. <laughs> That's good. I like I'm Jake. No, I didn't even use that. I forgot I had it. Mom, 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 mom,